The NFT market is still incredibly new, and many of the projects that people are identifying as blue chips, uh, blue chips are still largely unproven. I'm here with Josh. Josh, what are your thoughts on where we're at in the NFT market, how new the market still is, and what we can expect from some of the projects that we're still calling blue chips? Well, I think we're seeing a lot of confusion and lack of financial understanding. There's a lot of reality that Web3 is new, but there's also an equal amount of reality that we're still operating within financial markets, financial markets which have the same supply and demand equations, the same boom and bust, the same fear and greed. And maybe there's a few new elements in these markets which might be like pride and shame. So far, we've almost exclusively seen pride it because the markets have only gone up. And I'm a little bit concerned for some of the people getting into the space. Uh, this term blue chip gets thrown around a lot. I'm not sure what the fuck it means, but <laughs> it, uh, as I understand it, it's typically a project you like and want to keep going up is typically <laughs> the dynamic of what a blue chip is. But beyond that... Um, you know, the market leader is Yuga Labs. That's less than one year old. If we're looking at a startup, that still represents an ultra high risk startup. Um, it, you know, nine months, 10 months into operation, they're a $4 billion company. They're definitely doing a lot of things well, generating demand, but people are acting like uh, investing in a board ape at 105 ETH is a very safe, reasonable bet in line with buying uh, half a million dollars of shares of Apple. And that's really where my concern is because it, we're stating all these things are blue chips and I think it's giving people a false sense of security. Let's assume that the NFT space exhibits a similar level of volatility to the crypto markets and Let's even give the NFT space like a benefit of the doubt and say that it's as strong and established as crypto was in its last cycle, um, being like the 2017 cycle. I think that was almost nine years after the market had been established. So we'll pretend that it's about the same. You saw Bitcoin hit almost 20,000 and then retract down to, what do you think it got as low? You're the Bitcoin expert. Uh, during COVID? Uh, either during COVID, yeah. The, the yeah. bottom after the 2017 top of, uh, uh, or whatever, 2017, 2018 top of 20,000, the bottom was $3,000. So that's roughly an 85% retraction. That would be the equivalent of Board Ape Yacht Club trading at about 15 Ethereum. In my head, I, I, I don't see why that wouldn't happen or worse if we hit a bear market. Um, and I think that people are getting a little bit overconfident with some of these things because I listen to people talking about it as if this is an established market and as if there's an established way to do things, which to me is equally scary because the reality is, uh, you know, we're super new. I think there's 500,000 wallets in the space. I can tell you I have over 10 wallets. I think your average person probably has at least two, you know, one for minting, one for holding their stuff, maybe three, one for minting, one for like 
uh, intermediate holding and like a vault. So I would say there's probably less than 250,000 people in the space. If you assume the total addressable market for the NFT ecosystem is the number of people that hold Apple cell phones, you know, if you can afford a cell phone for $1,200 every two years, you could probably afford to buy uh, an NFT of some value at some point in time. That's a billion people hold Apple cell phones. If you assume 250,000 people hold NFTs, you start to look at something where you have 2.5 basis points of the total addressable market. This means we're very early. And when you're very early, like a lot of people say it as a very good thing. Like we're early, we're early. We are. Um, But like pets.com was really early and that didn't fucking work out at all. But Chewy.com came in later. And just so you know, Chewy dog, you know, pet company online, very successful. Uh, Pets.com, not successful, went bankrupt. And that's the whole thing. You got to realize that we may be looking at a lot of MySpaces out here and people people shit on MySpace. Like, oh, and they forget. MySpace was around for years and years and years. It was the blue chip. It was the number one social network in the world. It generated $800 million in revenue. And this was in inflationary numbers, probably the equivalent today of like two plus billion dollars. So it generated about 20 sometimes more revenue than, you know, Yuga Labs has generated. I'm not, I'm not speaking badly about Yuga, but they're the number one player. They have three of the four top uh, projects by sales volume under their ecosystem. And, you know, it's still relatively small. And that's really my point is you got to be doubling down your research And I just hear so many people sound completely confident this is the way to do things. And that's scary to me because I don't think the way we do things today will look, or I'm sorry, I don't think the way we're going to do things in 10 years when this is an established market is going to look anything like what we do today. And I think people are going to look back at this as a time that was the wild west and I don't know. I mean, I I just think there's a lot of gaps in what's going on. I think people are starting to exhibit some levels of overconfidence that I personally find a little scary. Yeah. And I think that you're absolutely right. I think we'll look back at this as the wild, wild west. Someone said, enjoy this while you can, because it's going to look way different in five years. I totally agree. I mean, we're talking about if you had just bought the Bobu, the bean farmer NFT, which was the cheapest entry into the Azuki ecosystem, the day of the airdrop, it was 0.06. This was two days ago. It touched almost a half ETH, right? And it was one of those ERC 1155 tokens where you could have bought a pack of 10 for one gas price, right? So, or one gas fee, I should say. So like the gains that are on the table here, it's a lot of like casino type stuff, but at the same time, there are legitimate, like you can do legitimate research and make calls accordingly. I can't see this you know, continuing to sustain. I do think that we could have a heinous bear market. I don't know if we would see board AP. Well, first of all, we have to price everything in US dollars when you think about it, right? So you said board AP club 15 ETH. We have to, you know, look at it in US dollar terms. I don't know what I would think a bottom for a board ape would be, maybe 50 grand. I don't know. What do you think? What, what do you think like a bottom worst case scenario, crypto winter, NFT winter, what a board ape could cost? 
zero dollars. <laughs> give me, can you give me anything more than that? Well, no, you said worst case scenario. I think that's very reasonable. If you hit a worst case scenario, um, what do I think is reason? It's hard to say. Like, I don't want to sit here and like shit on board ape yacht club, but there's a chance, you know, Look, a year ago, they were selling for $300. Things that go up have been known to also go back down. Um, could it be $5,000? Could it be $10,000? Could it be $50,000? Yes. It, the answer is yes to all of the above. You're looking at illiquid assets. So um, let's look at the TradFi markets, right? Uh, or actually, not tra traditional finance. Let's go a little bit different. Let's uh, look at like Picasso's or something where you got like 50,000 of them out in the world. When you hit bear markets, sometimes it can be nearly impossible to move them and people are taking 90 plus percent losses. Now, I understand that because of open sea, it's a more efficient market, but you know, the big winner in the space, the big blue chip in the space is not Board Ape Yacht Club. It is open sea taking 2.5%, 2 250 basis points of everything on, on every fucking trade. I mean, Kevin, if you're listening, you are a baller. You were brilliant ahead of your time. And kudos to you for setting up such a great two-sided market. Kevin's CEO of OpenSea. I have no connection with him. He doesn't know me. He has no fucking clue who Josh Pabrowski is. Shout out to Kevin. Yep. Or, wait, Yo, you, no, you, you, no, I'm sorry, it's Devin. It's Devin. Oh, oh my God. I'm shout terrible. out to Devin and uh, Kevin, man. Kevin what up, Rose, Kevin? What Devin, up, Devin? Uh, yeah, shout out to, to anybody with a rhyming name, but um, no, really, Devin, a fantastic job with everything that's been done with OpenSea. I apologize for saying Kevin. And, you know, when we look at these types of issues, what happens when you don't have a buyer? Um, it, the reality is if bored apes go out of style, it, then without a recurring revenue model, it's a lot more challenging to evaluate why it would hold a value. Um, and look, they're the market leader. So they're the least likely out of almost any project on the market to have this occur. But um, the reality is these things can happen. And I want to go back to like Enron. Enron in Houston, Texas was considered to be a blue chip among blue chips. They leased an entire building in Houston. And when Enron went bankrupt, it pulled down so many things around it that the value of the building that they had the entire lease on lost half of its market cap. It, these things fucking happen. If a lot of the really smart, successful traders in the market are a little bit younger, please research what happened a little bit before your time. I mean, like, I get it. I'm like a boomer in the space. I'm a fucking old man. But uh, the reality is it, when you've seen these things happen with WorldCom, with Enron, it, with a, a billion uh, .com startups, you realize that uh, when everyone thinks things are perfect, there is still a chance for attraction. So, I mean, I'm not trying to shit on the market, but the reality is, these are high risk. Um, I'm going to give like a really silly story that uh, you know, most people might think is stupid. But as an investor, one of my favorite scenes from any movie is in the Golden Compass. And you've got these two bears that's, that are fighting. Like the main character bear is a small bear. And the big bear is like the bad guy. And the bad guy lets down his guard for like a quarter of a second. And the small bear rips his face off. And this does two things for me. 
One, if you're a newer investor and you're smaller, you only need a small opening in time to really captivate an enormous win that other people might not think is possible. Second thing, more importantly, if you're the big bear and you're doing really well and you get overconfident for a split second, someone will rip your face off as an investor. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's totally on point. I wrestle with this stuff a lot. So there's a couple of facts that I like to put out there. When Gary Vee and other people say that 99.9% .9 of NFTs go to zero, for a long time, I thought that that wasn't the case. And now I definitely do think that's the case because I look at how much BS comes out, how many people come from other industries. Like for example, someone that comes from like the music industry puts out an NFT sells it out and then basically doesn't understand how to drive any value to it after the fact and goes back to doing their actual job versus, you know, making the NFT their full-time job, the center of their universe, which you really have to do because it's not easy to drive value to an NFT project and make it really good. It has to be the only thing that you're focusing on unless you're like Gary Vee, where you can build out an infrastructure of people to make it a whole vertical of your, you know, several hundred million dollar business empire, right? So I look at all these different projects. I mean, I'll use OniForce as an example, which had so much hype. And then I recently found out that it was basically a rug. Like they they had to replace the team. Like what are you, what the hell? Like so that's an example. I got to think that that's either going to go to zero or maybe this new team that thought it was a better idea to take a project that was failing versus start a new project. I just don't know how those things are going to happen long term, right? So there's that. But the flip side is I know that the United States government is still going to be printing money at this incredible rate. Quantitative easing is not going to stop. Maybe there will be brief periods where they like raise rates and they say that the QE is 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 easing, but but it's not going to. They're going to keep printing money. Like without any sort of hard money standard, they're going to keep printing money. And what that leads to is an exacerbation of the wealth. Josh, do you feel like that has any impact on NFTs long term? Yeah, I mean, look, obviously, if there's inflation and you have quantitative easing, you're going to look at interest rates are staying low, and that's going to inherently cause risk-seeking behavior, right? So I'm going to get a little bit technical here and go into it at a very simplistic state. Let's just assume that inflation is about 10%. That means if you have like a million dollars, you need to make about 12% every year just to break even in buying power. So if you need to make a blended average of 12% and you can't make that by putting your money in the bank and it's a little bit speculative if you'll be able to make more than that by buying like VU or like a Vanguard fund, it, then it does what's called generating risk-seeking behavior. I think uh, qualitative easing is a big deal, but I think it's a bigger deal what our interest rates are. Um, I try not to get too hung up on these variables because there's some signal there, but a lot of noise. Like if something bad happens in the NFT market, all the QA in the world, you know, you know, Jerome Powell isn't coming in and uh, buying up our NFTs, right? You know, he's not going to start a farm of apes or something along those lines or a jungle of apes. <laughs> the, the apes don't live on a farm, obviously. Maybe Browski they do. Doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about. Um, mm -hmm. It, but yeah, I mean, that, that's the reality. I think that at some point, something's going to happen that's going to cause a market reaction in a negative manner. Um, it, you know, QA, low interest rates, these are all bullish signs. But yeah, that being said, we're, we're such a nascent small market, right? Like 
the entire cryptocurrency and NFT ecosystem today is still worth less than Apple. And, you know, Apple's the most valuable company in the world, so it's not like a small amount, but it's a good thing to be thoughtful of that one company out there is still bigger than all of our, you know, work and all of the crypto and everything combined. So that's something that I think about a lot personally is that it's still small. We're still nascent. That's a word that PO taught me today. He's been teaching me a lot of big words. I appreciate that. Um, but yeah, I, I think that the market is going to be subject to negative things that could come from interest rates and QA. Like if it stopped or if the interest rates went up, I think it would really inversely hit it. I'm not so sure that we're going to see more positive bullish items coming from them remaining low or more money being printed. I think that we're kind of like on a rocket ship that keeps going up and, you know, maybe we do keep going up, but I don't think that it's going to be global macroeconomics that are going to, you know, really drive the NFT market. I think it's going to be innovation and quality projects. I also think we need projects to start to develop recurring revenue models beyond dropping new NFTs, where the reality is you might be able to generate 10,000 pieces of art for a project for under $10,000 total. And then, uh, you know, you might sell that for 90 million. So that level of no utility, only collectible can only last so long. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you're just tuning in, we had some audio issues on our previous stream. We have taken that down from YouTube, but we will upload the full conversation as in this video, plus the previous video's audio as a podcast. And our podcast is now available on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. So definitely check out our podcast and um, you'll be able to hear the full conversation there. We're also going to be adding the Twitter shows, the Twitter spaces to that podcast. So keep on a lookout for that. It'll be an easy way for you to listen to those. Um, anyway, so Josh, if you had to bet on one project, and people are probably going to make fun of us because everyone knows Josh's greatest hits, but if you were going to bet on one single project to be a true proper blue chip, to have long-term staying power, what would the project be? Any of our listeners probably know the answer. Uh, v friends, Just hard to bet against Vaynerchuk. This is a guy with real business operational experience. He has quality relationships with large LP investors in the VC world. And he has weathered multiple cycles already. And I just think that with his name being on it, I don't think if it's at all possible, he's going to let that fail. I'm not saying it couldn't fail, but I think he would do all in his power to help make it successful. And I'm not sure that any other project has a name that big that cares that much to make sure it's successful. Like, I don't think anyone else has as much on the line as Vaynerchuk. Like, I think his entire, because keep in mind, Vaynerchuk doesn't sell a physical good he trades on his reputation for being able to execute in VaynerMedia. Um, he's exited a few companies. But if this went to total zero, it would have a very strong negative impact. And he's self-aware of that. I mean, this, is, this isn't called XYZ uh, Club. This is his name. Yeah. And, uh, and I agree with that. 
The other thing I th- so me and Josh were having a conversation about who's really good at tokenomics and driving value to tokens in the NFT space, right? And Gary V is basically the best when you sort of think about it. He's got a complex setup for his first drop that all has real utility in different directions. He's got, for example, the gift goat where he airdrops you more NFTs. So he's got those NFTs. They hold like a two ETH floor or whatever. The book game NFTs, that had its own kind of structure and you know utility. He's putting out VFriends too. All these different things he's kind of managing and driving value too. And then you look at someone like Beanie, very controversial figure in the space, right? A lot of people get upset when you bring up Beanie. But the fact of the matter is Beanie has a ton of experience in this game and a track record of positively impacting projects, floor prices, positively impacting projects, tokenomics with innovation as well. And it's like, Gary V basically got to Beanie's level and obviously Gary V has a team and I'm sure that there's a genius behind Gary V's tokenomics and everything, but I'm pretty impressed that someone like Beanie who's been in the space for like four or five years, right? Since the ICO era, Gary V caught up to that. I mean, would you agree? Do you think that's fair to say? Well, very different personalities, but obviously both have uh, levels of success. And I think that, um, you know, both are intelligent individuals and you know you can think look some people dislike one some people like another some people dislike both uh some people like both but just on a pure quant metrics it, it seems like they're they both have done pretty solid job of executing so i mean yeah i mean i think overall uh yeah like i said vaynerchuk very impressive um you know another project kevin rose very very impressive what he's doing I'm following him closely. I'm like prolifically angry at myself for selling my proof collective. Uh, you know, there's not a day that goes by that I don't think, Bobrowski, what the fuck? Why would you do that? That was a very silly move. I'm wondering if the proof, uh, the performance of the proof NFT is positively impacting our NFT because we got like three floor sweeps this morning. I woke up to like a, a higher floor than yesterday. That popped into my mind. I wonder if the same thing is like the anime projects benefiting from Azuki's performance. If people are seeing proof and then they're saying, all right, well, these guys got a podcast. Maybe I'll buy their NFT. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it, it can't be hurting. Um, we talked about it yesterday and I'll reiterate today. You guys are doing a really awesome job on the media creation in order to be in the realm with proof. You need to do more delivering to your audience. And I know that being here at the ape mansion or the monkey mansion or whatever this place is called behind the scenes, I see these guys working really hard on it. We're talking about it. Um, I'm bullish on this project because whatever, at a sub 0.5 ETH floor, I feel like it's a real value add. Um, You know, if these guys can hook in and figure out the utility play, this feels like it should be, you know, one plus ETH floor at some point in time. And look, maybe I'm biased because... I'm like one of the largest holders. I own at least 150 of the tokens or NFTs, but there's a reason I'm here. It's because I like these guys. There's a reason that I'm here. It's because I think, you know, whether your team is successful or not is unknown. And if I get zeroed out on the investment, I'm okay with that. But I think you're honest, you're hardworking, you're intelligent. 
And I think you guys are going to put best effort in. And, uh, you know, I think we're going to wake up in a few years, not a few weeks, and look back. And a lot of people are going to say, assuming that you execute, a lot of people are going to be like, holy fuck, this was just sitting there for months at a time. And look, it, so few people realize CryptoPunks were initially free. And then they sat for like three years at basically under $1,000 for a floor. Um, the, the reality is sometimes things just take time to build momentum. Yeah. And I want to just derail. You were talking about proof. And and I do have that theory that maybe the, the positive, just the appreciation of the proof floor price is having a positive impact on our NFT. But, you know, you, you obviously never know. Um, so I guess you said that VFriend is like the one project that you could see, you know, being a proper blue chip. Is there a second name that you would put out there? Kevin Rhodes, uh, proof. All right, it's 50th. No, it's not. It's like 63. Pull it up. <laughs> okay, there you go. Um, so Tom Commerce gave us a $20 tip. Thanks, Tom. Do He's, I get some of that? Yeah. He said, burn book games for VFriends 2. Is it worth it? He's talking specifically about burning the sets of five for the new VFriends characters. Well, tough call. Depends on your timeline. Depends on what you're looking to do. Are you a flipper? Do you have a high conviction? I don't fucking know. I'm not burning anything. I'm I, I'm not smart enough to figure that game out. I'm a buy and hold kind of guy. Um, I wish I'm, I burned my wood frames for the for the VCon ticket because that went to four. Should have done that. Yeah, that that was a smart move. Um, you know, I'm almost curious what the tax consequence of a burn would be. I I think it's just a trade, so you probably don't have a taxable liability, but I don't know about that. And that that's an interesting thing. I, I, I shy away from tax issues that I don't understand to a certain extent. Yeah. Someone said, I think the burn is worth it for a new character. One thing I will say is it seems like when Gary tells you to do something or gives you an option to do something, it's generally a good idea to do it. Like I didn't do the wood frames because I did math in my head that was like, okay, I'm going to burn this for a VCon ticket. The value of these wood frames, five of them say it's at a half ETH floor, which I'm assuming we're going to get to a half, half ETH floor above, of, above uh, ahead of the snapshot, which we did five times 0.5. That's two and a half ETH. I was like, do I think that this VCon ticket is going to be worth two and a half ETH? No, I was wrong. Should have burned it. Should have sold it at four ETH. Would have made, you know, however many ETH off of it. So that's one thing to, to do. I'm not going to burn the wood frames for the new, I mean, any frames for the new characters. I'm just going to see well, what. Well, they've got some pretty expensive frames you could burn, like a uh, champagne. Champagne. I, I don't know if I, or caviar, you mean? Or no, there's champagne too? Look it up. Let's pull it up. I think it's champagne. Okay, well, we, we're not going to go too deep into the book friends, uh, book games, but anyway. Um, so, yeah, I mean, look, hey, we wanted to come back. Uh, we wanted to, you know, finish this off. We'll definitely cut the two episodes together into a podcast. Uh, make sure that you follow Josh on Twitter at Josh Brabosk. Just It's just your name, right? Yeah. Is it spelled somewhere? My name's hard to spell. Well, they know where to find you. They know where you're at. They're going to follow you. Make sure you follow Josh. He posts really good stuff all the time. Uh, and make sure that you like this video and subscribe to the channel. Thank you so much. Catch you guys next time.